the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read the first 15 verses. Paul writing, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his own judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Father, Help us to understand this passage as only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we begin this chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 1 again. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now, I know we just spent about a half an hour talking about all the women's events coming up. Okay? The women are very active in what they're doing right now. That's great. But, I'm going to give a little props to the men right now. Guys, if you're a part of our Tuesday night Bible study. Okay? Here's the thing. Not to put you on the spot, but to put you on the spot. Let's look at verse 1. I look at verse 1 and I see, I'm going to ask you, what we do on Tuesday nights, everybody, is that we do an inductive Bible study. An inductive Bible study is basically what you do is that you look at the Bible and you look at a passage and you, you read the whole of the, of the, of the, not just chapter, but of the book. Not, not the whole Bible. I mean, yes, definitely read the whole Bible, but you read the book to understand the context of the writer's intent. Okay? And so there's there's one subject matter, there's one topic, there's one theme, if you will, 
of the whole entire book. And so then once you have that theme of the book, and then you go back and you can begin to break things down. And when you break things down, what you do is that you begin to look at your passages. And as you look at your passages in the inductive Bible study method, is that you observe what the passage says. You interpret what the passage says, not what you want it to interpret, it, not what you intend to make it say, but what does that mean? What does the Bible say that it means? What does the time period in which it was, would it, which it was written, what does it mean? How do we interpret that? And so we you sometimes have to get into some Greek words and if you're in the New Testament and Hebrew and the Old, but you go in there and you interpret what that says. Not trying to make it anything bigger than what it is, but just you observe a passage, you interpret a passage, and then you apply. So you got the OIA, the observation, the interpretation, and the application of that passage, okay? And so as you apply it, now you begin to become, now I, I hate this term, but I, I just, it's the, the right term for this. And so please understand what I'm saying. When you apply the passage, you're basically flushing it out. You're putting skin on the passage in order to apply it to yourself, okay? Now, that doesn't mean you put it in the world, you know, that you make it sinful. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you put skin on the passage so that you can understand it and apply it to your life. So observation, interpretation, application. I'm going to read verse 1 again, and I'm going to ask you guys something. Stand fast, therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. How long do you think it would take us to get through verse one? Three studies. Probably three studies. Just, but, but here's the thing. Why? What would we be observing in here? Just, just real quick. I mean, I, I really don't want to make this a long study. What I want to do is I want to just point out what is it that we'd want to understand here? What what are the things that we'd want to observe so that we'd understand? Well, let's start let's start off first. Therefore, Therefore yes, my wife. <laughs> Thank you guys. Yes. <laughs> the the women are just jumping in here going, "You don't talk about us women ministry like that." We're going to show you Okay, that's good. That's great. That's awesome. That is a great, great application right there. That's a great application of the word therefore. What about stand fast? Don't we want to know what stand fast means, right? Okay, stand fast. Okay, that's a word. That's that's what we want to understand. That little phrase, a little, you know, uh, combining of, of, of a word, two words. And therefore, we want to look at. What else would we want to look at? Liberty. Liberty. What's the next thing we want to look at? Huh? Entangle, bondage, yes, those are things we want to look at. What else do we want to look at? Yoke, we want to know what a yoke is, right? What else? Huh? Be not. Oh, be not. Okay, so you got, what are you going to use in the, the King James? Okay, King James. Be not entangled. Do not be tangled. Be not. I love King James Version, huh? Be not. By which Christ, yeah. Free is another word. Look at that. I mean, we would spend, and I really am very thankful that the guys said, ah, two to three weeks. Yeah, I think we'd be about five weeks in this thing. Because it would just, it's just filled with 
phenomenal words. Now, we're not going to do that today. But be that as it may, listen, as we look at this, there are some things that we really, really kind of need to look at, right? We see here, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Virtually every word in there or phrase in there would be an observation that we'd want to look at, observe, and then interpret. What is he saying? And then apply to our lives. But, but here's the thing. In that, in that, Paul is giving you kind of an eye, a picture of what it is that he's going to follow through verses, you know, 2 through 15, and he'll even carry it on from 16 through 26 next week. But he's going to give us a clue in what it is that he's going to talk about. He says, stand fast, therefore, right? He says, stand fast. The word stand fast, it's, it's found eight different times in the Bible. That word. It's stiko in the Greek, which doesn't really mean a whole lot to us, other than that's the word that it is. But what we, how we find it in the, the rest of the passages that we see in scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. It says, watch, Stand fast in the faith. Let's just, as I'm going to read these verses, what I want you to do, your job is to look at it and see in what manner is the writer wanting us to understand this word to be. That makes sense? In what way, as I read all of these verses that I'm going to share, what is the writer trying to say to you? What is he trying to say to, uh, to, to, to me? First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. You don't have to look it up. I'm going to read through a quick... Watch. Stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Later on in the same book, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so Stand fast in the Lord, beloved. First Thessalonians chapter three, verse eight. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Get in a picture? Second, second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. The word stand fast, stiko in the Greek, literally means to be stationary, to persevere, to persist, to stand firm. We might say today, to post up or to set a post if you're into basketball. (laughs) The idea is, is that you get a forward down there and he puts his foot down and he holds his spot right there, baskets in front of him. And so the defender, you know, trying to get between him and the get in front of him this this guy he sets his foot and he sets his feet and he's not going to let the guy behind him get between him and the basket he's setting his post he's setting there and if this guy behind pushes him out of the way what happens a whistle foul what well, i don't know i just said timeout i don't even know what a foul what a, what a foul i don't know what in basketball the way they boop and maybe something like that you know a, a foul penalty, penalty. Well, it would be a foul. But I, I just don't know what the hand signals of the ref. But the thing is, is foul? Is that what it is? 
Or is that out? I don't know what it is. It, it doesn't matter. It's not nothing to do with today. Okay. The thing is, is that that forward or that basketball player, he sets a post. He sets right here. And the reason they say post, when you think of a post, if you run into a post, what happens? It hurts, right? I mean, because the post is stationary. You know, we might, we might also say, you know, hold the line if you're a soldier, right? Hold the line. What would you and I understand that to mean? Hold that line. You don't let the enemy cross that line, right? You do whatever you need to do to hold that line because for whatever reason, your commanding officer said they can't get behind that line or it's going to be detrimental to our cause, right? So hold the line, we would understand in the military term. We might, for the rest of us, we might understand this as, hey, don't give an inch. Don't give an inch. Now here's what Paul's saying. Don't give an inch, Galatians. Don't give an inch. Therefore, which then takes us into our next word, right? And my lovely wife gave us a great explanation and a great definition of what that word therefore was therefore. We have to look at it. When we come to a therefore in scripture, what do we do? We go back and find out what it's there for. And so Paul says, stand fast therefore. As he opens up verse one of chapter five, he says, stand fast therefore. What that means is that Paul has now given you and I the permission to go back and look at what he just said in chapters one through four. What he just said you remember, was that there are guys that are creeping in and they're asking you to, it's okay if you receive this Jesus. It's okay if you understand his death and his resurrection. That's good. But you've also got to continue to keep the law because that's the only way for salvation. You've got to continue to do certain things in order to be righteous before God because Jesus and his death on the cross was not strong enough to get you to heaven. Now, to you and I, we might look at that and and in, in today's day, we might look at that and go, you know, why is Paul being such a stickler on on, on semantics? I mean, they're coming to know Jesus, aren't they? I mean, they're coming to know the Lord. Paul says, no, you're falling from grace when you do what you're doing. Paul's Paul's not pulling any punches. Paul wouldn't have lasted a few minutes on a post that I saw this last week. I'm going to ruffle some feathers here. I, I'm sorry. But this last week in a in a Facebook post... I had, and here's where I'm going to ruffle feathers. I'm sorry. Not really, but kind of. There's a song out there called uh, The Reckless Love of God. Some of you guys have seen it. Some of you heard it, I meant. And it's a very energetic song. It's a very passionate song. It's a very moving song. It's a very emotional song. There's a problem with, uh, that I have with it. Is that the writer uses the word reckless love of God. That God's love is reckless. 
And in the true definition of the term of reckless, that's next to blasphemous. God's love was thought out. When you, when you get a ticket or you're arrested for reckless driving, that's not an honor or a badge that we want to put on our driving record, is it? If you go to someone and say to maybe, say a father or say to a mom who is neglecting their kids and you say, you're being reckless with the rearing of your kids, that's not a badge of honor. You're being reckless with life. You're being reckless with your grades in school, kids. What's well, okay? Because God was reckless. No, God wasn't reckless. And, and it's for that. We, we won't ever sing that song here. I'm sorry. And, and, and there was this post and a lot of people really came down. A lot of people I respect came down and said, oh, but that's the way that the world looks at it. I'm going, you got to be real careful. One guy who's a pastor was saying, Look, this thing has jumped to, 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 to the top billboards in, on the secular calendar. Let's quit as Christians, you know, knocking down things like this and allow God to work because doesn't the book of Philippians say, we, we know that guys, don't we? That Paul said, listen, There are some people that are in this prison that are actually preaching Christ, hoping to add bonds and stripes to my life. In other words, not stripes as in, hey, general, no, not those kind of stripes, but whipping stripes. They're preaching Christ because they want the, they want the jailers to become so mad at Paul that they'll whip him even all the more. That's kind of evil. Isn't it? Preaching Christ so that Paul would get whipped more because they didn't believe in God. And Paul says, it doesn't matter. Only that in every way Christ is preached. And and so, you know, this one pastor and quite a few people jumped in on that note and said, yeah. I mean, Paul even said it's okay to do that kind of stuff. No, it's out of context. Not when you have a Christian, not when you have a believer, not when you have somebody who's a worship leader saying, this is how we worship the Lord. Let's combine our voices together, Christians, and let's sing reckless love. Of God. And I'm going, I got a problem with it. I do have a problem with the song. There's certain songs that I won't sing in here. I actually had one of the guys that were on there, it used to be a, our, our drummer, <laughs> Mark Foltz. He, he had said, you know, there's another song that, you know, and, and he mentioned it, it was a Keith Green song that, that I refused to play. Now I, I just gave a, a, a quick little, you know, hey, good job for bringing this up, you know, to the guy who, who put it out there. Here's the thing. He said, you know, Don, here's something that you didn't allow us to play. I agree. It, it was a song by Keith Green. You know the song. We all know it. It's a very catchy tune, and I like the tune, and it's a, it's a neat-sounding tune. It's a great melody. It's a great tune. Created me a clean heart. You go, wait a minute. But Pastor Don, that's... That's the Bible. And it is. The problem is, 
we're in the New Testament singing a an Old Testament message. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit, and renew a right spirit within me. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Until it comes to this point. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Wait a minute. Jesus, you said, he who the Father delivers into my hand, I will in no wise cast out. He actually uses the same exact word. I will in no wise cast out. And no one will be able to snatch them from my hand. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Holy Spirit isn't going to leave you. That's, that to me, that, an Old Testament, uh, uh, application of that. You see, the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. Jesus talks about that in John chapter 14, doesn't he? Jesus says to the disciples, he says, listen, I've got to go away. And when I go away, I'm not going to leave you guys orphans. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send to you a comforter, a parakletos, the Holy Spirit. Oh, you know him. He is with you, alongside of you, but he will be in you. You see, up until the time of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave three days later, when Jesus entered into the upper room, people, people want to know, well, when was the Holy Spirit given? Was it upon his immediate resurrection? Now, I, I think what happened is that Jesus established it. And I believe that, it, I think it's found in John chapter 21. Jesus, he he appears to the 12 or to the 11. Judas is gone. Paul is still, uh, you know, a Pharisee. And so you got 11 disciples there in an upper room. Now, 10 of them saw Jesus at one time. Thomas wasn't there. But the second time that Jesus appeared to everybody, he came to them and it says he breathed on them and then said, receive the Holy Spirit. Personally, I think that that's when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. After Jesus rose again from the dead, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just a silly guy. I'm just, you know, just a silly guy, but I think when Jesus Christ says, receive the Holy Spirit and he breathes on you, I think you're going to receive the Holy Spirit because he said, that's exactly what's going to happen. And so Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit came into their hearts at that moment. I think that that's when the church as we know it began. But from that point on, Peter and and James and John could not appropriately or correctly say, cast me not away from your spirit, O Lord, and take, or cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. I don't believe that they can say that anymore. For the Holy Spirit of, had, he was the Holy Spirit of promise. He, he sealed them for, for heaven. And so, yeah, I, I, why am I dealing with this? Why am I spending so much time on this? 
It's because, gang, we've got to be really, 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 really careful. Some people might look at you and go, oh, you're just, you're just nitpicking, you Christian. This is what's destroying the church. And I would say, no, I think what destroys the church is us watering it down so much that you can't determine or you can't decipher what's the church and what's the world anymore. And, and I think that we need to be very careful in how we represent the Lord, especially when we represent the Lord. When we begin to attribute recklessness to Almighty God is a dangerous thing. And I don't care if somebody goes, yeah, but that's the way that the world sees it, so it's a good thing. Be careful. Be careful of becoming compromised. And this is a big push in the world today. In the, not in the world, in the church today and has been for quite some time. The end justifies the means. What do I mean by that? Here's the thing. What we can do is that we can do everything to make our church look like the world. Be like the world, act like the world, smell like the world, present ourselves as the world. But we are a, a horrible imitation of the world. I, dude, I mean, listen, not dudes. Guys, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, dudes, listen. Listen, man. I grew up in the party scene. I, and that's where I was kind of going. I grew up in the scene. I've been to the bars. I, 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 I did a lot of the junk that was out there. And, and here's the thing. When the church tries to become like the world and present themselves and go, look, we can have the bar, but without. And even that's even getting very cloudy in the church. There's a lot of churches. There's not a lot, but there's there's some churches that are actually meeting in bars. They'll drink because we can. Just going, what are you doing? Oh, and it's okay to actually cuss from the pulpit because I'm being... I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm being applicable. I'm being, I'm being, you know, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Huh? Relatable. relatable. Thank you. I'm being very relatable to the people. And so I can say a bunch of cuss words from the pulpit because you know what? The end justifies the means. And I say hogwash. I don't see Jesus doing it. I don't see Jesus doing it once. I don't see any of the disciples doing it once. What I see Paul doing is he's, In today's day and age, we'd look at Paul and go, you're nitpicking, Paul. Come on. People were saved. People were coming to know the Lord. People were, are, are, are getting saved. The church is still going. The church is growing. Paul's going, but there's robbers that are coming into your church and saying, listen, unless you are circumcised, Jesus is availing you absolutely nothing. And Paul's going, do not, do not, do not listen to that hogwash. Now, there are a lot of people who go, well, who cares? There will be some that will argue. I mean, we know, doesn't, we know. Paul circumcised Timothy, didn't he? You remember that? Paul circumcised Timothy? Shortly after, he was saying, hey, circumcision means nothing or uncircumcision means nothing. That's what we read today. And then Paul t- circumcises Timothy. And so the question is, 
Is Paul a hypocrite that he circumcised Timothy? I guess that's one way you can look at it. He was a hypocrite. Or you can look at it a different way. And this is the way I I tend to look at it. I believe that Paul had a heart to reach people for Christ. But every time he took his little buddy, Timothy, with him, his true son in the faith, every time he went into a, into a city or into a, into a town that had Jews there, they would say, wait a minute. This guy is an uncircumcised Jew. His mom was Jewish, but his dad was Gentile. He's not full blood. Ah, Timothy isn't, he's not a Jew. If he's circumcised, then he'll be a Jew. But if he's not circumcised, we want nothing to do with you. I want to, I want Timothy to be circumcised. Everywhere Paul would go and Timothy was with him, that was the argument. We aren't going to listen to you. La, 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 la. We're not going to listen to you. Until that guy's circumcised. Now, I don't know the protocol in having a conversation in that day. How they knew, how they would determine whether or not it was actually accomplished or not. I don't know. I'd hate to be the inspector. <laughs> Your job is the circumcision inspector before we'll listen to anybody. Oh, great. That's my job. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you like to have that job? What a horrible job to have. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Better than Paul's job to actually have to circumcise Timothy. Timothy, I know that this isn't for you to be saved. Okay. Don't get this in your head, but I've got to circumcise you. <laughs> uh, but Paul does. He circumcises Timothy, which, what a man Timothy is, you know, to have to do that. I mean, that's long before antiseptic and, you know, anesthesia and, and the sharpness of our scalpels, you know. Here, here, here's the thing. Why did Paul have Timothy circumcised if he wasn't being hypo- a hypocrite? Because, you know, the vast majority of his time everywhere he went was arguing over whether or not circumcision or whether uncircumcision. That Paul spent all of his time on trying to knock down that circumcision doesn't mean anything anymore. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. La, 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 la. We aren't going to listen to you unless that guy's circumcised. La, 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 la. Timothy, I'm sorry I have to do this, but I've got to circumcise you. Because we got to get beyond this issue that everywhere I go in, they only want to talk about circumcision. They only want to talk about, they'll only open their ears if you are circumcised. And I'm not saying that the end justifies the means here. And you might look at that and go, well, that's kind of a, a, a kind of a shadow of it, isn't it, Pastor Don? What it is, is it's a passion of Paul's heart to be able to get beyond first base with everybody that he would come in contact with and say, hey, listen, let's time out. I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ and him him circumcised. (laughs) Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I want to talk to you about. Salvation is in Jesus Christ and him crucified and not in any other thing. We aren't going to listen to anything you have to say because he's not circumcised. Oh, no, he's circumcised. Oh, he is? You know, Ari, can you check him? Is he good? Thumb up? Okay, all right. Now, Paul will listen to what you have to say about Christ. 
<laughs> and then they'd listen to him. And, and then Paul would lay into, listen, that was a silly step that you just had to go through. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. It's not the law that brings us, the, that, 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 that saves us. The law brings us to Christ. But once we are under Christ, we're no longer under the law. We're now under Christ. We don't find our goodness and our righteousness before God in what we do. But now we find our goodness and we find our righteousness because what he did. It's no longer bound upon me and my goodness and my keeping of a law that never was kept. It's now in his righteousness and his holiness and his sinlessness as he hung upon a cross and took my sin upon his shoulders in order to give me the opportunity to be saved. It's through Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not through any other means. Look at what Paul says. He goes, don't let anybody rob you of this point because these Judaizers have crept in and they're saying, oh, unless you do this, unless you do that. Let me ask you guys something. And I don't expect an answer from you, but this, just to put it out there to where you can kind of go back and think about it. When you got saved and you you really understood what salvation was about, you got saved, were you just like stoked, just thinking, holy cow, I'm saved. God's forgiven me. God's taken my my sin and he's washed me clean. If anyone is in Christ, me, I'm a new creation. Me? Old things have passed away. Everything I've ever done, yeah. Behold, Don, all things become new. Holy cow, that's wild. And I'm excited. I'm excited about my salvation. Do you know that when I got saved and when I started walking with the Lord, I didn't know who Calvin was. I didn't know who John Calvin was. I didn't know who Jacobus Arminius was. But it seems like once I come to know the the Lord, all of a sudden, I've got to understand who all these men are. I love A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer, he says, you don't have to go around doing what all of these teachers are saying. You need to basically be doing exactly what the Word of God says to do. Because all of those that you have been instructed by are simply one fallen head instructing another fallen head. They're just one fallen man or one fallen woman instructing another fallen human being. But Christ is not fallen. Now I'm kind of adding to Tozer what Tozer was saying and what the intent of what Tozer was saying. And yet we have today, oh, I'm a Calvinist. Well, you know, well, I'm a Arminianist. You know what? Here's here's what I am. I'm a Christian. You can you can argue down that 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 issue between Calvinism and Arminianism until you're blue in the face with me, and I I I, I don't care. They both are accurate. It's impossible for both of them to be accurate. I have faith that God will take these two unintersectable lines on this face of this planet. We'll never understand how these two meet, but they both are correct. And I don't know how it works. 
I don't mean to confuse anybody, but one camp says, you can't choose Christ. That's Calvinist. You have to be chosen. And even when you're chosen, you don't have a choice in it. You simply respond to something that God did in you. And, and so you have no choice. There is no choice. You have been predestined from the foundations of the world. And you know, to that, I say that is absolutely true. Now, the opposite side of the coin, Arminius say, no, you have to choose. You have to choose. You have got to choose Christ or you're not going to be saved. You've got to know that you have acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior or you're not saved. Do you want that? Do you want to be saved? Do you want a relationship with Christ? Yes. Well, then ask him. Choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I agree with that too. But you see, you can't have both of them. That's the argument. Does God choose or does man choose? And I say yes. We both do. Does does me choosing negate the fact that God, I don't really want to get into this because it's just I mean it's it's an argument that's been going on for a, a, about fifteen hundred years well, about a thousand years. It's it's a it's an argument that just keeps getting argued over and over and over. And my point is, when I got saved, I didn't know any of that, and I was happy. I was saved. You were saved. Do you remember when you got saved? You didn't know all these little fringe things that you had to do or not have to do. (laughs) And so here's the thing. Some people will come in and they'll try to rob you of your faith. They'll try to rob you of your joy. Oh, well, you've got to go to this church. Or, oh, no, you've got to do this. I had a woman that didn't even go to our church. That that was a part of of, of another church. I I don't even remember what church she went to. But we happened to get together. Um, she was a, a friend of a friend. She actually became a good friend of our family. And we were at some event and she was there and she asked me, she says, Pastor Don, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. I, she says, um, our church has kind of going through some times right now and I just have, I just need you to help me clarify something. I just want to bounce something off of you. I said, okay, well, what's going on? And this was back when uh, the Toronto Blessing was going on. This was back when the Pensacola Revival was going on. You remember all those things? And, and, and so back in Pensacola was where, you know, there was people barking like dogs in the spirit. You know, that there were people that were flailing around on the ground. There was a, a girl that, that hiccuped for like two years or something like that in Jesus. <laughs> and And all of these phenomenal expressions of, 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 of God was supposedly taking place there. And, and even in our own, I'm sorry, I don't mean to trash down on a, a radio station, but even in our, one of our most popular Christian radio stations, you know, here there was advertisements. Hey, there's buses that are going to Pensacola. You know, you can get on one of those buses to go to Pensacola so you can receive the blessing. I'm thinking, I got a problem. I had a problem. If I've got to go to a church, if I've got to go to a location to meet the Holy Spirit, 
Pastor Chuck, I loved what he used to say. Christians should not chase after signs and wonders. Christians should not follow after signs and wonders. Signs and wonders should follow after Christians. You know what that means to me? Is that I'm very ignorant, but here's my own mindset. I believe that the Holy Spirit is in this room right now. I believe that he's helping me to speak right now. I believe that he indwells this heart of mine. I believe he indwells this mind. And I believe that he articulates his word. Now, I know that there are others that say the same thing, but I'm not going to disagree with them. I'm not going to argue the point. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit is indwelling the heart and the mind and the soul of every true Christian upon the face of this earth. I don't have all the answers. But I do have this. I have Christ. And I don't have to run to Pensacola to get this blessing. To finish the story, she began to cry. I go, what's the matter? And she says, well, we're having kind of a, a split in our church going on right now because here's the thing. My husband and I, we just haven't been able to get away to go up there. And there's like half of our church that has gone up there and the other half that either can't afford to get up there or they can't be able, they're not able to get up there. And being that that's my husband and I and our kids, we haven't been able to get up there. We're being kind of moved out. We're kind of, we're kind of being shunned in our church because you're not going up to get the blessing. I'm thinking, well, that sounds like the Holy Spirit to me. That's the love that I think that the Holy Spirit is going to indwell people's lives. Let's ostracize those who can't make it. And go, and she cried and I said, oh, please don't, don't cry. You need to stay far away from that place. I'm sorry. But you know what? God never tells us to run to where the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is here with us. He said he will be, he is with you, but he will be in you. And he will walk where you walk. You don't have to run to a place. He's there right now, here at the very moment. You have access to the Holy Spirit. Is that just not the coolest thing in the world? You don't have to pay a subscription or anything. There's no dues. You just have to give your heart to Christ. And at any moment, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you have access to the Holy Spirit. And I love it. And when I got saved, when I started walking with the Lord, I didn't know all of these things that I had to do in order to be saved. And I'm just going, there's so many things that we add on top. And this is what Paul is dealing with here. He's saying, stand fast. Do not give an inch to this. Don't give an inch to these guys. I'm out of time. Let me let me read through this. I just want a couple more comments on this. But here, here's the thing. Paul says... You stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. He includes himself, right? This is starting to make a little bit more sense after we've articulated what we've talked about here. Well, actually, what I've talked about here today, we haven't really talked, but I hate that when a pastor says that, you know. What we have done, no, we haven't done anything I've said, and hopefully you've agreed with most of what it is that I've said. If not, please come up and tell me where it is that I'm wrong. I'd love to... I'd love to to, to correct what it is that I've, I've been in error on. Paul says, stand fast therefore 
in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. The word yoke is a, it's, it's an apparatus. You know, John says, I think we ought to look at yoke. And here's, here's, we're going to look at yoke for a second. Yoke is an apparatus used to control a domesticated animal. The Jews considered the yoke of the law a good thing. And you know what? Before Christ, it was a good thing. But when Christ came, it's no longer, he set us free. That's the liberty that Paul is talking about. He set us free from the yoke of bondage. The yoke of of the law was a yoke of bondage for it tied us to the law. It tied us to our own goodness and our own righteousness. The problem is, is that none of us could ever be righteousness enough in order to inherit the the, the, the heaven and salvation and a right relationship with God based upon our own merit. And it was the law was there to show us that we couldn't do it. For if anyone was ever able to do it, there was no need for Christ. Does that make sense? There's no need for Christ if somebody can fulfill the law. The law was simply set there as a standard to say, here is the standard that God requires. Do you measure up to that standard? And every single human being that has ever lived upon the face of this earth would look at that standard and say, nope, I don't. Some will look at it and go, why are you even showing me that thing? I mean, it's obvious. There's, I don't even come close to it. But then there's those that go, well, let me show, let me see. Well, I'm good there, and I'm good there, and I'm good there, and, and there, and there, and there, and there, and there, and there, and there. Oh, okay, I'll give it to you that I'm not good there. But I'm good here, and I'm, I'm good here. And, and But just that one little area. I mean, just that one little area. I, I, I was, I messed up one time. But everything, I'm good everywhere else. You know what the law says? You're guilty of them all. What? Are you kidding me? And now you could get upset with that, huh? Are you kidding me? Do you know how well I've lived my life compared to this guy over here? Are you telling me I'm not going to inherit heaven because I messed up that one little thing? And and the Bible says, listen, if you offend in one point, you've offended them all. If you've broken one law, you've broken them all. The idea is the standard was set there to show you and I that we can't make it to heaven based upon our own merit. It's the reason that Jesus Christ came. It's the reason that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, if there be any, any other way for man to be saved, let it come. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours will, your will be done. And it's the reason why Jesus was in the garden asking that question, saying that, making that statement that man can't get to heaven based upon his own merit. It was only going to come through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ on that Roman gibbet where he was taking my sin, your sin, our sin upon his shoulders. And when I accept that, it's not through my works. Christ takes this yoke that is placed upon me. It's a burden that is wrapped around my neck And it's holding me down. And Christ comes when he dies and he rises again from the dead. When I recognize that my sin was upon his shoulders and he died for me. When I recognize that and I invite him to come into my heart. 
I invite him to come into my life. Here's what he does. He breaks that yoke off of me and he sets me free. And that's what Paul's saying. You've been set free. Why are you allowing these guys to come back in and slap another yoke on you? What are you doing? (coughs) Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. When I saw that entangled, I I, I looked at that word and I thought of of a friend of mine. And Andy, you guys might remember him from over in Fort Lauderdale. There's a guy by the name of Kurt Cottrell. He owned Island Water Sports over there. Yeah, he had a radical walk with Jesus and loved the guy. He was phenomenal. He was a surfer. He ended up moving to South Africa with his family and he started church over there and what have you, but he kept his, his business in Deerfield Beach. But Kurt um, ended up dying over in uh, South Africa. He was surfing one day and he crashed and he went under the water. And when he went under the water, he got entangled in the seaweed. And he couldn't entangle himself. And he drowned. He died. I was shocked. It was a shock to all of us. The guy had been in the water. I think the guy was born in an ocean. And here he is, dead. He got entangled in seaweed. Something so silly. Something so you would never expect it. But but I thought, how apropos for this passage. These guys are getting entangled in seaweed and they can't get themselves cut free. And Paul's taking this knife and he's whacking away at this seaweed that's entangling these guys. Don't be entangled again. You once were entangled in the seaweed. You once were attached to that yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised... Christ will profit you nothing. It's not about whether you're circumcised or not. Look at what he says. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So here's the thing. I accept Christ in my heart, but I can't be really saved or walking with the Lord or having actual right standing with God unless I am circumcised. So find me a a, a Christian doctor to perform the deed. Then I'll be saved. Paul's going, if you do that, just go ahead and keep all of the law. Just do the whole law again. Because what you've done is you've just negated the blood of Jesus Christ. That makes sense? You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, Paul explains, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But it's through faith working through love. And then I see Paul just pausing here. And I know he's writing it, but I I have to believe that Paul stopped writing for a second. And he just thought, what happened? What what in the world happened to these guys? These guys were on fire at one time. These guys were growing. These guys were... What happened? You ran well. You ran well. 
Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What in the world happened to you guys? Just know this, Paul says in verse 8, this persuasion does not come from him, Jesus Christ, who calls you. This is not from Christ. I'm telling you, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, which goes back to my initial beginning of this whole thing with this song, Reckless Love. That's a little leaven. Oh, the end justifies the means. Don't you ever accuse my Lord of being reckless in his thought towards me or you or anybody that he saves. He was not reckless. He knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly why he went to the cross. It was not reckless. That was completely and perfectly planned out. A little leaven. Oh, but let's not, let's not cut hairs. Let's not, let's not split hairs. Paul's splitting hairs here and he's going, I make no, I make no excuses for it. I'm telling you, we got to be careful of allowing a little leaven to get into the church because that little leaven, how many cooks do we have in here? A few? Yeah. You put a little yeast in that flour concoction that you make and then you put that in kind of an oven not not a hot oven, but just a kind of a room temperature oven, a little warmer than room temperature oven. And you put a little piece of wax paper over the top of that dough mixture that you only put just a little bit of leaven in, just a little bit of yeast in. And what happens? That little blob of dough, you come back in about a half hour, 45 minutes, that little blob of dough has grown up and looks like this huge, beautiful, wonderful piece of a loaf of bread. It's just wonderful loaf of bread. Just over, you know, flowing the top of the, of the pan. You go, okay, now it's time to cook. That's what, that's what Paul says. Jesus said the same thing. A little bit of leaven makes it all rise. A little bit of leaven. You know, understand that leaven is basically a rotting agent. I know that that's a hard thing to, are you kidding me? We throw something in there that causes the dough to rot. Yep, that's why it grows. And, and, and so here's the thing. Jesus says, sin is just like that. Paul is saying, this kind of doctrine coming into the church is just like that. Just a little bit and it's going to grow up and it's going to become a cancer and it's going to kill the church. And I'm not going to stand by as a Christian and just allow it to happen and just go, hey, the end justifies the means. There's a lot of people at the church. Hey, look, some of the largest churches in America, they're one of the, I think the largest church in America in Texas. There's thousands upon thousands of people go to a church that doesn't even want to talk about sin. Just want to talk about, they only want to talk about the positive things of Christ. The positive things of Christianity. Paul's not doing that here. He's not talking about the positive things. He's saying, root out this false teaching. Let's be real. Let's talk about the full counsel of God. This persuasion does not come from Christ who calls you because that little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. I have this confidence in you though, Paul says. Look at his heart towards him. I have this confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. He has hope. 
He has a heart that they're going to they're going to see their error and they're going to correct it. But I will tell you this about the one who's troubling you. Look at what he says. <laughs> Paul doesn't hold back any punches. I'm going to finish here. But he who troubles you, huh, he's going to bear his own judgment, whoever he is. I, I look at Paul and I go, whoever he is. I don't know if Paul knew who it was. But Paul is going, whoever that guy is. Uh, there's some things that, that uh, Paul might kind of wish he would have taken back, maybe. Um, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek. I think sometimes, you know, and this may be one of those times where Paul wrote something down and said, did I really put that in ink? And it is right here. He says, listen, if I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? You're, you're going you're gonna to bother me. You're going you're gonna to argue with me. You're going you're gonna to have problems with me no matter what. But the offense of the cross has ceased. If, if circumcision is what it is, then the offense of the cross. It, there's no more power in the cross if circumcision is the issue. The cross is powerless, is what he's saying. He says there in verse 12, he goes, and this is what I think that he kind of wonders if he put this down in ink. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, I, I don't want to get too graphic in here, but I will say this very quickly. Paul's talking about circumcision. We understand what part of the body we're talking about. Paul's saying, I just wish they'd just cut themselves completely off. Did I just write that? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, there was, a, there, was a, there was a Greek goddess back in the day. Her name was Cybele. And her priests, in order to be dedicated to her, would emasculate themselves, castrate themselves. I would hate to be one of those priests that came to know Christ later on. <laughs> oh, man. Did I make a mistake? What a silly thing. You understand, there's a lot of cults out there that require you to do a whole bunch for them. Christ says, just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke, I'll put a yoke on you, but my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's not like the yoke of bondage that you knew. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, you brethren, you've been called to liberty. Calvary Chapel, you've been called to liberty. And then Paul gives a great exhortation. Only don't use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that seems very simplistic. And yet, if you really think about it, it's so true. Here's the thing. When you see a picture, say if I took a picture here, a wide angle panorama picture, click, and I downloaded it to the computer and put it up here on the screen, where would your eyes go to first? Yourself. To see how dorky of a face you had, right? <laughs> you know, oh, what do I look like? You know, you look at yourself first. Why? Because we're, we're consumed, man. I, I hate to say it, we are consumed. We are consumed. But but Paul's saying, 
Listen, do you look at everybody else in that before you even look at yourself? Do you have a heart to be humble and serve people? There it is. There it is. Let's love people. That's what Christ did. Christ did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life, life a ransom for many. Isn't it right? Jesus is our, our true example. So as you love people, if you love people, you have to deny yourself, right? That's what Jesus says. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, which means die to yourself, and then come and follow me. For the biggest hang-up that we can have as Christians is continuing to walk with a mirror in front of us where we just look at ourselves, where we're magnified. I, I, in fact, there's a great saying here uh, um, about magnification. I have it written in my Bible. I don't want to mess it up. Uh, it says, and it's really cool. Pride. C.S. Lewis wrote it. Pride. Listen to this. Pride is a telescope turned the wrong way. It magnifies self and make, makes others look small. Isn't that true? Pride. Telescope turned the wrong way. Paul ends up, he says, but if you bite one another, bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You know, here's the thing. That is a true statement. And I, you know, I don't want to go too much into it. You know, the point is, is that sometimes the way that we judge people and the way we, we deal with people, know this, you're going to be judged. Paul's, Paul just has said a pretty harsh statement. But what Paul's saying is beware that you don't devour one another lest you be consumed and devour or devour others because you might be devoured too. Paul knows that if he calls out sin, people are going to call him out too. So be careful. Be ready. People start inspecting your own life. That's okay. Paul says in two different occasions, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He had a heart that wanted to follow Christ and wanted to live for Christ no matter what. Inspect my life. If there's wrong in it, let me know. And I'll take it to the Lord and I'll see if, if, if I'm in sin, if I am, I'll change it. That's been my heart. My heart has been that. I hope your heart can be that where you just go, you know what, if somebody brings something to me, I've had people bring things to me, um, and maybe in, in written form and give it to me. I had a woman that one time gave me a, a note after one of my messages. I was teaching on Micaiah in the Old Testament. He was a, a prophet that was, I, I, I think he's humorous because he would say the truth and he would say it blatantly, you know. I think it was before King Ahaz or Ahab, one of the two. And, and, and he he would say, you know, the truth. But there came a point where they wanted to go to battle, and they said, "Well, is there, you know, ask your prophets if if it's okay for us to all to go to battle." So the king goes, "Ah, oh, all right, I'll ask all the prophets." So he asked every prophet that he knew, except 
Micaiah. He came back in and said, oh yeah, they all said to go. We're good. We're good to go. We're all going to survive and we're going to overtake this army. We're going to, we're going to be victorious. The other two kings that were with him said, isn't there still yet one more prophet that you haven't asked? And he goes, yeah, it's Micaiah, but he always, he always prophesies bad things against me. So I don't want to talk about him. And the other kings go, yeah, we're not going to go into battle until you talk to him. He's kind of the guy we want to hear from. And, and so the king goes, all right. So he sent his soldiers off to Micaiah. Micaiah sees him coming. He comes in. The soldiers go, listen, the king has sent us here. You better prophesy good for him because it's not going to go well with you if you don't. Micaiah goes, what, what is it you want? Well, the kings are wanting, they're coming together. They're wanting to go against these other kings and they're, they're thinking, they, they want to find out from you if, if it's going to go well with them. Micaiah goes, yeah, go. King Ahab sent back to him and said, how many times do I have to tell you, Micaiah, to be truthful with me? You tell me the truth. Are we really supposed to go? And Micaiah goes, no, you're not. You wanted to, somebody to, to say something nice to you. You weren't going to take it. You were you you already set yourself up that you didn't really want to know the truth. So he just says, ah, go ahead. Go ahead and go. And Micaiah goes, yeah, yeah well, you're never gonna even going to come back from the battle, king. And the king goes, do you see what this guy says? Didn't I not tell you that he always prophesies bad against me? Take him and throw him into the dungeon. The king takes off Micaiah. Micaiah is going off to the dungeon in handcuffs and in, in restraints. And he goes, hey, 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 everybody just hear me out before I go away out of the earshot of everybody. When King Ahab doesn't come back, you let me go. <laughs> I prophesied he isn't coming back. Don't leave me in that dungeon. And I, I always talk about Micaiah saying, ah, he's kind of a smart aleck. Because I, I, I find the humor of him. Go, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And there's this woman that came up afterward and she gave me this note and she goes, Pastor John, that was quite possibly the best message I've ever heard anybody ever say. I mean, do you know that God is, has so gifted you to teach? I mean, you have made the Bible come alive to me and I just, that was a wonderful teaching. I mean, I, I can't wait to hear more. I, and she's just glowing and glowing. I'm going, oh, whoa, oh, 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 oh. I don't like to hear that, number one. But she's saying this and she goes, here, the Lord gave me a word for you. Thank you so much for being faithful and thank you so much. And she's out, da, 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 da. And she, she goes, she puts it in my, my shirt pocket. I had a, a button up shirt on. She put it in my pocket. I go, oh, and I started reading. She goes, oh no, you don't have to read it. Now just read it afterwards. It's just a word that the Lord gave to me. And I'm going, all right. So I finished about my day and everybody left and I'm going home and I'm sitting there. I'm driving along and I, oh, hey, wait, I have this little thing. I opened it up and said, you have, you know, um, spoken wrongly against my servant, Micaiah, unless you repent, you know, you know, basically I'm going to die and all this kind of stuff is going to happen to me. You know, my home is going to leave me. It was a mobile home kind of a thing. Kind of, you know, and, and it is, you know, it had this curse on it. And I'm going, are you kidding me? She was saying all these glowing things while she was looking me in the eyes with a smile on my face saying, you're going to die because God said so. And I thought, 
well, now that's just crazy. And now in my flesh, I know what I wanted to do in my flesh. What a wacko woman. That's my flesh, sorry. But in my spirit, I'm just going, you know what? God spoke through donkeys. Lord, did I mock your servant? Did I say something wrong? I mean, Lord, I really want to know. Now, I don't ever really hear the Lord speak very often, but I really sense that the Lord goes, ah, now nah, he is. That's who he is. <laughs> ah, you're good. You're good. I'm going, oh, thanks, Lord. Thanks. I would never want to mock somebody that shouldn't be mocked. Well, I shouldn't ever want to mock anybody, but you know what I'm saying. But here's the thing. I will take what someone says to me, and I'm going to take it to the Lord, regardless of how ridiculous it sounds. I'll take it to the Lord and say, Lord, really, is this of you? Is this of you? Be quick to do that. Be quick to do that. Because here's the thing. If you're willing to call someone out, you better be willing to be called out. But it's for the better. It's for the furtherance of the gospel. And Paul was doing the very that very thing. He was just trying to correct an error in the church. I hope that this has meant something to someone here today. I don't know. Um, I pray, God, that you would just bless um, this message, Lord. If there was anything that anybody could take from this, Lord, if there was a lot, there was a little, Lord, may we at least all walk out with one nugget. We pray for many nuggets. We pray for just a, 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 a bucket full of, of, of treasures that you've placed in our hearts and our minds and our souls today as we walk out of this place representing you. May we not be swayed by the world. May we also not be swayed by even the popular church. May we only be moved by your Holy Spirit and your perfect word that we have in front of us. May you speak to our hearts. May you speak to our lives. May we live for you. Seeking to only have the approval of you and not the world around us. Not pastors. Not professors. Not parents. Not kids. Not the populace. May we only be concerned about what you think. May we live with that passion and that drive and that desire for the remainder of our lives. May we not get caught up in the things that the world and even the church wants us to get caught up in. May we continue to keep the gospel simple. Your love, your grace, your mercy is seeking to reach the world. God, use us with the simplicity of your gospel. Change lives as you changed ours. We bless you today, Lord. Help us to walk out of this place encouraged, walking in you, but having a resolve to not allow compromise or hypocrisy to enter into our our own personal walks with you. Bless our church, Lord. Pray, God, that you would anoint every worship leader, every leader, every person that comes into this place. Lord, may we grow in you, for that is our desire, to grow up in you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.